0: Welcome to the MedSoup Podcast, where we talk about trending healthcare topics. I'm your host, Laura Schumacher. Let's dig in. Today, we are joined by Dr. Robert Wilson, the founder and medical director of Piedmont Interventional Pain Care. Dr. Wilson has served patients in Salisbury and the greater Rowan County region for over 15 years. He is board certified in both anesthesiology and pain medicine by the American Board of Anesthesiology. He completed his residency in anesthesiology and a fellowship in pain medicine at Wake Forest University Baptist Medical Center in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Dr. Wilson is trained in the latest pain management techniques and therapies and is an avid speaker providing information to the public and medical professionals across the United States about the latest interventional pain treatments. He is an active advocate for the prevention of opioid abuse and serves on the opioid task forces for the Department of Health and Human Services, the Industrial Commission of North Carolina, the North Carolina Medical Board, and the North Carolina Medical Society. Additionally, Dr. Wilson is the president-elect of the Pain Society of the Carolinas, also known as PSOC a long-standing member of the PSOC, and has served as Chairman of the Government Advocacy Committee. Hello, Dr. Wilson, and thanks for joining us today. All right, currently opioid use has a sort of a stigma attached to it. So how do you approach that in your own practice?
1: Well, at Piedmont Interventional Pain Care, we've always had the philosophy of trying to perform procedures or mentally invasive surgery that would cut the need for opioid pain medications. Um, My practice philosophy really hasn't changed over the 20 years I've been practicing. What has happened uh, in the last uh, three years, especially since the uh, Center for Disease Control had uh, published some guidelines for opioid uh, prescribing, um, we have gotten even tighter as far as our prescription writing. But the reality is is that we have patients who have these global diseases that we cannot perform procedures that work well enough for them, and we have to try different types of medications that will work for them. Sometimes we can get by writing non-opioid pain medications and different sort of adjuvant medications that will uh, assist them with their pain. What we also have to understand is that chronic pain is like chronic diabetes, chronic hypertension, it never goes away. So anytime we can find a procedure that works for a patient and decrease or stop their opioid pain medication, anytime we can use another medication that is non opioid for their problem, uh, we've always practiced that way. But because of the current climate with the opioid crisis, everybody has tighten their belt some as far as writing pain medications, but I've always been an advocate for the patient and to make sure they get the medications that they need.
0: So there is a proper use of opioids in pain management?
1: There is from the standpoint of medications being written for chronic pain. You have to understand that I trained in this field in the late 90s uh, when we were told Uh, and uh, taught by those uh, who are instructing us that pain medications could be written um, in higher doses. If one got tolerant to it, uh, you would just simply write more of the medications. The pharmaceutical industry backed that, of course. But I recognized early on, even during my fellowship, that patients who are getting more and more opioids, uh, as far as their dosing increasing, really didn't get that much better from it. They just got more tolerant to it. And at the end of the time, you'd find patients who were just taking the medication to avoid withdrawing. So I recognized in my training that there really was a limit how much you could write for. I also recognized that if you could do a procedure to avoid using them altogether, it's much better. When you attack the problem of inflammation, or different types of nerve pain at the source of it, you don't need to write for pain medications, including opioids, uh, to help cover that. So proper use of opioids, I think, and always have felt, is best handled by those of us in the profession who are trained to use it or board certified to use it. We did find in the past primary care doctors were writing a lot of these types of pain medications. And if there's anything that happened good out of the CDC guidelines, we're no longer seeing patients come to our door on massive doses of pain medications, opioid pain medications, and that we're finding them where they're pretty much opioid naive and it's much, much easier to control their problem doing appropriate interventional pain therapies and minim- minimizing the amount of medication that they need for their pain.
0: So I would assume that the majority of the patients would prefer to be off of medication if they can, but You know, some that are on it, I mean, how do you prevent them from abusing?
1: In our clinic, we have always monitored patients from the standpoint of um, doing urine drug screens, uh, doing pill counts, and simply counseling the patients. You have to be careful when you write these medications because you can write them for a patient to take it two times a day or three times a day but you may find some patients who will take all their medication in a 15-day period when it's written for a 30-day period. So the only way to really to monitor these patients is a combination of all the things I've mentioned. Everybody has a different idea about pain medications. Some are very strict and take no more than what they should. Others try to self-medicate and will perform urine drug sc- screens and pill counts And continue to counsel them but at a certain point when we feel like the patients are going to do harm for themselves we have to stop writing the medication another point to make is that uh, by doing urine drug screens we don't only screen for the uh, prescriptive medications that they're on we also screen for illicit drug use including marijuana cocaine heroin and methamphetamine so it's obvious that we find a patient using illicit medications we will not write for any pain medications uh, in the opioid class and we would do only procedures only in those type patients. We certainly don't want our pills getting out on the street being sold or being traded for illicit drugs and adding to the opioid crisis that we have.
0: So how would you describe the current state of the uh, opioid crisis in the US right now? The current state
1: is well, it's an interesting question because I mentioned earlier the CDC guidelines that came out three years ago uh, were revolutionary from the standpoint of what they were trying to accomplish. I understand also the CDC guidelines were written for primary care. They were not written for pain specialists. Unfortunately, the insurance companies jumped on board and made it even more difficult for pain providers like myself or board certified and qualified to do so to write for pain medications. We predicted this as part of our pain society when we talked to the medical board that we would find a mass exodus of patients being written for pain medications by the primary care people and that's exactly what happened. There's been several studies looking at in the state of Tennessee for example um, the number of pain patients who could not find anyone to write their chronic pain medications, and they're looking at the suicide rate uh, that these patients, uh, those have taken their lives. So really what's happened in the last three years, and, and to this point in April of this year, the CDC put out new guidelines regarding the uh, what the guidelines were intended to uh, to do. And so many different organizations like mine I had contacted them about the patients who were harmed because of their inability to get the pain medications that they need. And these are patients who are judiciously taking the medicines as prescribed. They weren't abusing them, et cetera. But the CDC director on April 10th of this year wrote uh, that the agency, the CDC, is working diligently to evaluate the impact of these guidelines and to clarify its recommendations to help reduce unintended harm. So a lot of chronic pain patients were suddenly stopped from their pain medications, uh, went into withdrawal, et cetera. They tried to get into a pain clinic like mine, and we just could not handle, all of us who practice this type medicine could not handle that load. And um, we found patients that uh, harm has happened to them. So the way to look at it is that the pendulum has swung from one extreme to the other. Uh, We predicted this three years ago. It's now coming to fruition. Uh, from the standpoint of uh, what we're seeing. So uh, the crisis is, um, again, as I said earlier, the good thing about it is we don't see as much pain medication being written by primary care. They tend to send those patients to us where they can be properly managed. Uh, The downside of it all is that uh, patients were abruptly stopped and harm has happened.
0: So I know that you're actually very active on many legislative committees and uh, governing bodies in reference to this topic. and What are some of the activities you're involved in right now?
1: Uh, I've been involved in the uh, Physician Education Committee of the Department of Health and Human Services here in North Carolina. I helped with the Industrial Commission here in North Carolina write the policy for uh, opioid and the opioid task force. Also, am a committee member of the Opioid Task Force for the North Carolina Medical Board, meeting with them on occasion when it's called upon. When we're called upon, and then also doing talks around the state for the North Carolina Medical Society, uh, as well. One interesting point I wanted to bring up that uh, about a year ago we were at the uh, North Carolina Attorney General's office. There was some legislation that was pending. Uh, and we, as the, uh, government, uh, advocacy committee for the, uh, pain society, of the Carolinas were concerned about the, uh, way it was written. Uh, we met with a member there and were assured that, uh, our, their intent of the legislation, uh, just wasn't spelled out well enough. The, uh, legislation was rewritten and, uh, it did, uh, it did go ahead and, uh, state some of the concerns we had with the ability of uh, just any law enforcement person getting on the uh, prescription monitoring program and seeing who's writing medications, et cetera. So the whole idea of that legislation was to uh, investigate those who uh, look like uh, a concern based on the amount of pain medication, the amount of morphine milligram equivalents they're writing for and uh, it was, again, rewritten to uh, reflect our concerns, and, and uh, we're happy about that. But out of that meeting, uh, the gentleman I met with kept my email address. He wrote me an email just about uh, six weeks ago in regards to a, uh, a patient that had contacted him. And I want to use this as an example of what's happened in this world of uh, opioid crisis and how far the pendulum swung too far the other way. There's a lady who is a retired uh, school teacher uh, who has uh, sort of what we call a central pain state, a central pain problem with uh, as a result of multiple sclerosis. And she was taking uh, five milligrams of oxycodone tablets per day. And in the uh, amount of morphine milligram equivalents, that's 15 milligrams. A lot of the guidelines have been written for 90 milligrams or below. So it was not much pain medication. But without it, she couldn't do her daily functions. She couldn't do her laundry, couldn't uh, make the bed, couldn't do her housework, et cetera. So her pain clinic that she was affiliated with, again, got very, very strict on writing medications and uh, would not continue to write that uh, opioid medication. Her neurologist also felt uneasy writing any opioid medication. So this gentleman from the uh, North Carolina Attorney General's office contacted me and uh discuss the case with him want to know if i could help her out help him out because he's getting a lot of phone calls regarding this very problem we're talking about patients being unable to get pain medication so about three weeks ago we saw her in the office as a new patient very legitimate patient uh very um a patient that you don't have concerns about uh, abuse potential etc although she went through the normal processes here But we saw her and she was so happy to find somebody just to write her a small amount of opioid medication. So again, the pendulum has swung so far the other way. I'm binding now that people are recognizing this and the powers that be that pass this legislation uh, and these guidelines are now feeling some of the effect of it. And they're wanting us to help them out, which we're happy to do. But the reality is we have to come to a middle ground somewhere on this because uh, situations like this shouldn't be uh, anything that we should see.
0: Well, and that situation just goes to show that you have to look at the whole picture, both sides, and you're having to evaluate every single patient on an individual case-by-case basis because somebody may need medication for long-term, somebody may need it short-term, and then an interventional technique or procedure that you can provide may help them to actually reduce or eliminate their need for some sort of medication.
1: Correct, we do uh, a lot of different procedures. We do some uh, mentally invasive surgery as well, but our whole goal is just that, Laura, to go ahead and reduce the amount of pain medication they need. We have a lot of patients that come here from, let's say a primary care office or another pain clinic that does not do interventional therapies. And we're able to perform procedures and start cutting back on their opioid medications. They feel better when we do it because, again, we're attacking the problem at the side of the nerve where the problem is. We also implant these mentally invasive surgeries, uh, a spinal cord stimulation therapy that I've been using for the whole 20 years I've been out in fellowship. Uh, That technology has gotten better and better and better. I see a big uh, uh, benefit in the VA population we take care of, so many of those men and women who came back from their service years uh, have uh, spinal conditions that uh, uh, would be uh, something you'd see in someone maybe 30, 40 years older. So for those uh, difficult spinal cases, maybe they've had one, two, or three back surgeries and still hurt uh, the uh, process of doing um, spinal cord stimulation therapy has worked out very well for them.
0: So if there's someone that wants to schedule an appointment with you Do they need a referral or how can they do that?
1: No referrals necessary in this office. We are, again, a completely independent office uh, from the standpoint of uh, our practice. Uh, They can simply call for an appointment. Now, it may be that if you call us and want an appointment, uh, we'll ask if you've ever been to another pain clinic before. Some patients seek us out because they may have been discharged for illicit drug use or uh, failed pill counts, et cetera, et cetera, a different clinics before us so uh, we will question uh, those who have been to other clinics and get records it's only a prudent medical practice to do that Uh, but the reality is is that you do not have to be referred here there's maybe uh, one or two insurance companies that require it but uh, none of the others do in fact a lot of our referrals come uh, by this way uh, self-referrals from uh, family members or friends or someone who's heard of us and uh, they're able to get in this office without any problem
0: What about VA patients?
1: VA patients as well. We work very closely with them. I've been uh, working with the VA for probably eight or nine years now. I first started seeing a few patients that came here uh, randomly, not knowing how they found their way here. At that time, I realized the need uh, for the kind of services I provide because the VA doesn't have anyone here in Salisbury that has the... um, Uh, training the skill sets to do what i do so they're happy to send patients here and we have a very very good relationship with them but a va patient can't simply call here and make an appointment Uh, they have to go to their primary care doctor uh, at the va and that person would have to set up the appointment here and have an official referral
0: all right well great thank you very much for that information i think that will be very useful
1: thank you very much (音楽) Dun 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 dun